0: Hey, and thanks for taking the time to listen with us here at Gospel Way as we seek to find rest in Christ. Please know that this is supplemental and does not replace your local church or the pastor that God has given to shepherd your soul. But it is our prayer that God will use these resources to bless you and point you to Jesus. And be looking at what may be the most familiar part of Romans um, maybe the most well known possibly the most quoted section of scripture in the book of Romans um, but like has been many other places in Romans um, we have the context to go along with that scripture um, I know I was, as I was looking through some of this and studying some of this, uh, that was one of the things that has never ceased, I guess, to amaze me is, even with this, when Paul was writing what he's getting ready to write in Romans chapter number 10, he had already written over half of the book of Romans. Um, it wasn't necessarily something that he just stopped to say. It wasn't a little plug for him to, to throw in the middle of nowhere. What he was saying, he was saying for a point. And hopefully we can get to that point. Um, we'll be looking at things a little bit differently tonight. Uh, what we're going to do, I'm going to read Romans chapter number 5, verse 11 through Verse 15. What we're actually going to do is we're going to look at it backwards because that's what Paul does in this section of scripture. Uh, he, and I know we mentioned it last week too, but he, he literally reverse engineers salvation. Uh, whenever, again, whenever I was studying for some of this, I, I looked up the definition for reverse engineering and what the definition of reverse engineering is to backwards engineer a product or a thought, to deconstruct it and see its design. And that's what Paul's getting ready to do. Uh, What he's trying to show, what is basically a Jewish audience in this text of Scripture, although there will be Gentiles reading it, what he's trying to show this Jewish audience is how salvation is going to happen. Um, ironically what he says specifically in verse number 13 is a direct parallel with what he says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 22. In Romans chapter 3 verse 22 he said it didn't matter if you were a Jew or it didn't matter if you were a Gentile that all were under sin and what he's going to explain again to this particularly Jewish audience or, or this Jewish section, if you want to call it that, of, of Scripture, is that not only are Jew and Gentile under sin, but Jew and Gentile are capable of salvation. And salvation has been av- made available to both of them. But if we start in verse number 11, it says, For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed and this is going along with verse number 10. Again, the word for here in verse 11 and verse number 12, it means because. And Paul actually uses this same word again, constructing or deconstructing this topic of salvation. He says, because the scripture saith, whosoever believe on the Lord shall not be ashamed. He's pointing back to verse number 10. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the The mouth confession is made into salvation. So he's saying, the Bible says that if you have gained this salvation, if you have seen what the salvation of the Lord is, what the salvation of the Lord that the Old Testament prophets spoke about, if you've seen what that is and you believe on that, you're not going to be ashamed. You're not going to be disappointed. There's going to be no regret that you've believed what God said his salvation was. And he goes on, for or because there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord overall all is rich unto all that call upon him. And specifically, especially in these next three verses, pay attention to how he uses the word call. He said, for whoever, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. things. And we'll stop reading right there for tonight. And again, what I want to do is is take these verses and go backwards and see what Paul is trying to explain to his audience here. Um, in verse number 12 specifically, we have the messenger's motive. And then we'll skip down to verse number 15, see the messenger's method. Verse 14 will show us his means And verse 13 will show us his multitude or who this is directed to. But part of what Paul is saying in verse number 12, we need to call attention back to verse number 1 of chapter number 10. He said, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. So that was Paul's desire. That was his heart. What he wanted was that his brethren might be saved. And again, we looked at that salvation that he was speaking of. He was talking about eternal salvation, but what he wanted for them was for them to see, again, what the Old Testament prophets called the salvation of the Lord. He wanted them to see the culmination of God's plan, to see that it wasn't just about an earthly king coming to rule and reign over everything with the rod of iron that they were expecting, although that will happen. But it was about good news that the prophets also spoke of. So in verse number 12, we can see Paul's motive. So he has this desire. He has this motive. Verse 12, it says, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. So Paul has this desire. And this desire, again, can even point us back to the very first chapter of the book of Romans. So we look at verse 1 and see what his desire for his brethren is. But even if we go back to the very first chapter, in verse number 15, the Bible says, So much as it is within me, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew and to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So Paul explains why he's writing the letter, but we can't miss what he says in verse number 14. Because this is part of his motive. He says, I am a debtor both to the Greek and to the barbarian, to the wise and to the unwise. So what Paul is saying is I have a desire, but not only do I have a desire, I'm indebted to tell you these things. It's not that the Jews had given Paul something and he owed them that thing back. But it would, be, it would be along the same lines as if you gave someone a particular amount of money and you said, I want you to give this to so-and-so. At that point, it's not because you borrowed anything from anybody, but you were given something to give to somebody else. So you are indebted to the person who gave it to you and you're indebted to the person that you're supposed to give it to. And that's what Paul meant. He said, I'm indebted because I've been given the salvation of the Lord. I've been given this understanding, what he called the mystery of God. He'd been given these things. So he was indebted to God for giving him those things to give to someone else. Not that he could pay God back for what he did and not that he owed God anything But because God gave him something to give to someone else, he was indebted to whether it was Greek or barbarian, wise or unwise, Jew or Gentile. He was indebted to everyone. And we can see what he gets this this, this mindset from, I guess you could call it, again in verse number 12. He said there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek. So not only was his desire a motive, but the lack of distinction was a motive. And I thought this word distinction was interesting, especially given what Brother Ricky has gone through in the, in the past couple of weeks, because the word distinction here is the exact same word that we get incision. So when they did that heart surgery, and I've never done heart surgery, so I don't know exactly how it happens, but I get the gist, I think. So if I'm not mistaken, they make an incision, and then they cut a bone, and then they pull you apart. But it doesn't matter what kind of surgery you have. Whether small or large, they're going to make an incision to perform that surgery. And Paul says there's no difference. There's no distinction. There's no incision between the Jew and the Gentile. Colossians chapter number three, Raven references this. He said that there was at one point in time a wall of partition. It was something in between the Jews and the Gentiles. And there was a wall of partition in between God and his people. But when Jesus came, he took that wall of partition out of the way for the Jews, which was the law... And he took the wall of partition out of the way so that it was available to whomever. And that's what he's saying. he's saying that, that division, that incision is literally what he says, isn't there. They're one, they're one body. We can look at it as even being, if we want to call it the human race, and I know that's something that's been mentioned a lot recently with the different unrest, at least in America. You know, so everybody, everybody, you have different people saying, well, we're not this race and that race. We're the human race. And in essence, that's kind of the thought that Paul was conveying. He said there's no, there's no, there's no split in any of this. It's not a, a gospel that's going out to one people. It's not a gospel that's going out to one gender. It's not a gospel that's going out to one skin color. It's not a gospel that's going out to one heritage or one's nationality. But that, that there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. And he gives the reason for this. He says, because, again, he uses that word for, the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon his name. He said the reason there's no distinction is because the riches of God's grace is enough for everybody. God didn't just have enough grace for the Jewish people and God didn't just have enough grace for the Gentile people but he had enough grace for everybody he was rich overall so he's able to pour out that on all he does again just like he has in verse number 4 he does give a, a inclusion if you want to call it that verse number four, he said that Christ was the end of the law to everyone that believeth. And again, in verse number 12, he says that he's rich over all, unto all that call upon his name. So we have this this inclusion that's been made to the Gentiles, but the one thing that's excluding the Jew and the Gentile is they have to be in Christ. And that's the reason that he's about to give us how you get into Christ. So we have his motive in verse number 12. But he begins to explain the method. And we'll go down to verse number 15. Because he starts backwards. He says that the ones who call had to believe. And the ones who had to believe had to hear. And they had to be able to hear from somebody. So there had to be somebody who was saying it. And the one who was saying it had to be sent. So verse number 15. How shall... They preach, except they be sent. For as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things." This is actually a direct quote from Isaiah 52 and verse number seven, And what he's talking about in Isaiah 52, verse number seven is the one who's going to come and tell them that the bondage of Babylon is over. So the bondage that we've been looking at in Micah in Sunday mornings as we've gone through, the bondage that Micah's prophesying that's getting ready to happen, Isaiah said, there's going to be somebody who's going to come and tell you that that bondage is over. And that person, he says they have beautiful feet. He says, you'll be happy to see them. No matter what they look like, no matter how they speak, you're going to be happy to hear what they say because they're bringing you Good news. And that's what Paul is conveying. He's saying the method that you're going to gain the understanding of this salvation is somebody is going to come and tell you. And whenever you get a hold of what they have to tell you, you're going to be happy to hear what they've got to say. No matter whether your personalities clash, whether that person is unattractive, whether they are not Good at speaking. Paul even himself said that he was not a good speaker. But those who heard Paul's message were happy to hear what he had to say. It would even go so far as those Jews would be happy to hear from a Gentile. And those Gentiles would be happy to hear from a Jew. Those people that hated each other, they're going to be happy to hear and see those people coming that were bringing this good news. So the only way that they're going to hear the good news is if somebody was going to preach the good news to them. So the Bible says, how shall they preach except they be sent? So we're going to start out with this reverse engineering. Paul is taking the gospel down piece by piece. And he starts out and says, first of all, there has to be good news, which is the gospel. We understand that. That good news, it comes from some." Place specific. It's got a source. So, the source of the gospel, the source of salvation, is going to start with one person, and that's God Himself. So, God is the source of salvation. So, who do we think the sender of this message is? The sender is always God Himself. And I do want to read in the book of Acts, chapter number 10, and I'm going to read part of a story. In chapter number 10, and there's going to be a few other places that we'll call reference to, but not necessarily read through. In chapter number 10, there's a story given, and most, most of the time, what we hear about chapter number 10 is a vision that Peter has. But I'm going to start reading verse number 34. The Bible says, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. Now, this sounds kind of familiar. Because Peter's right now saying the same thing that Paul just said. Paul just said there's no distinction. There's no division. There's no incision between Jew and Greek. And Peter's saying, you know, I think God's not a prospective person. God not looking at people as Jews and not looking at people as Gentiles. He says, but in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. The word which God sent, and there it is again. So God is the sender unto the children of Israel, preaching peace. There's that word that we saw in in the book of Romans again. Preaching peace by Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of all. And that sounds just like what we read. It's almost like one person inspired the whole book. Verse number 37, that that word I say, ye know, which was published throughout Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism, which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed openly, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God." So what Peter's saying, he's saying, I was there. I saw this happen. And God chose the ones that he wanted to see this happen specifically. Everybody in the world didn't see this crucifixion, but God chose people that he wanted to see it. And he chose them for a reason, which I think we're going to get to understand here in just a second. He says, not all people, but unto the witnesses chosen before of God, even to us, who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify, that is, he which was ordained of God to be judge of the quick and the dead, to to him give all the prophets witness, that through his name whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. So all the prophets, the whole Testament, was speaking about one thing, and that was about Jesus. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all of them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many came, to Pe- came with Peter, because that on Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Spirit. And they heard them speak in tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any forbid water that these should not be baptized, which also the Holy Ghost, received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them that they be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. So what has actually happened in this text of scripture is an angel comes to a man called Cornelius, a man who knew the Old Testament. He was a proselyte. He was a, he was a Gentile, a Jewish Gentile, if you want to call it that. He wasn't Jewish by heritage, but he had taken on the Jewish religion and he had followed the Jewish religion. An angel comes to him and says, I want you to go to a specific place and I want you to look for a man named Peter. Now, ironically, it wasn't this angel that brought the gospel to Cornelius. He said, I want you to go somewhere and look for a person. And that's part of what we'll end up seeing in our next point on the means. But at the, around that same time, Peter has a vision. This sheet comes down with all these animals on it and goes back up and comes back down and goes back up and comes back down. Peter don't know what in the world's going on. All he knows is that God says, take, eat. And Peter said, we can't eat these things. God says, do it anyway. And what God was saying is that this distinction has been removed. And then he says, I want you to go to this certain place. And he gets there, and lo and behold, there's people there waiting on him. And he preaches to them the gospel. And what amazes people in this text of scripture is that the Gentiles and the Jews are both receiving the gospel. They're both receiving the spirit, and they're both being baptized. And that's part of why Peter says in the beginning of that, he said, I perceive that God is not a respecter of person. So what God is doing here is he is showing the method by which this goodness is going to come. And that method is by a person. And that's why I referenced that the angel didn't speak the gospel, but he sent them to the ones that speak the gospel. And that's one of the things that we need to understand. When God calls out, and, and Peter said that specifically. He said, I want you to understand that there were witnesses that God chose to see these things. Basically what Peter was saying, he said, God decided to let some specific people hear and see this gospel. And he did it for a reason. And that reason was men like Cornelius. Because what God does when he gets ready to stir the heart of a Cornelius, he's already sending a Peter to that person. God doesn't do things half-heartedly, and God doesn't leave it up to chance. But anytime time that God saves a person, he has sent a Peter to give the gospel to that person. And that leads us into the means of this message. So not only do we have the method, which is the person that is preaching a specific thing to someone, but the means is that which he preaches, and that we see in verse number fourteen. The Bible says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? What Paul is saying here, he's not, he's not talking about the guy who gets up and stands up in front of people and holds a position in the church. When Paul says, how thou shall they hear without a preacher? What Paul is saying is, how are they going to hear unless somebody's there to tell them? The word that Paul uses for a preacher here is the same word that the Roman people would have used for a herald. So a herald was somebody who had been given a specific message To go out and to tell specific people. That was his only job. It was to give a message to people. And that's what God has done. If God has given us the message, by default, what Paul is saying is they have been sent to give people the message that they've been given. Paul's saying if there is a Peter who has received the message, then there is a Cornelius in which that message is to be received. He's saying there's a means by which this is happening. And those are the ones who have the message. He's not, again, he's not designating and saying that this is one man who is sent to one place necessarily. But he's saying that God is going to use anybody who has this message to be the person to proclaim the message. If you have the message, then by default, you are the preacher of that message. You're the heraldor, heralder of the message. You are proclaiming that message. That's our job. If we have the message, if we receive the message, then our job is to proclaim the message. That is the means by which God is going to bring people to salvation. And again, calling attention back to that angel that sends Cornelius. God didn't choose that an angel bring us the gospel. And that's why Paul says, if any angel preaches any other gospel, let him be accursed. Because it's not of angels to do these things. God had ordained that people tell people. That's how he decided to do it. And we're not here to argue with how God decided to get his gospel out. So the means is preaching. That comes from someone who is preaching. The means is the message, which is going to come from the messenger. He said this preaching is going to lead to something. If there is preaching involved, then there's going to be hearing involved. And he says that. He says, how are they going to hear without a preacher? So the preaching involves hearing. If the message involves speaking. So if we're going to give the gospel, it's going to involve words of giving the gospel. It's not just for us to live in a certain way and dress in a certain way and hope people just see the way that we are. Although if we're not the way the Bible commands us to be, then what James says is our faith is vain. It's worthless. If we're not living in the way that God has instructed us to live, then our message is going to be worthless. So our, our method of giving needs to line up with the message. But without the message, the method is useless. Hopefully that makes sense. So he said the preaching is going to lead to hearing. So if anybody's going to come to salvation, they're going to have to hear the gospel preached. And the gospel is one of those things, again, calling back attention to chapter number one, he said the gospel is the power unto salvation. So not only is it the message, but it is the enabler in the message God doesn't just send out his gospel hoping that it just falls wherever it falls, but he sends it out with the power to do the work that he wants to accomplish. The power is not within the messenger. The power is not within the preacher. The power is not within the person saying the gospel. The power is in the gospel itself. He says, how are they going to hear without a preacher? And that hearing leads us into something else. He says, if you've been sent... You have a message, you're speaking that message, you're proclaiming the message, people are hearing the message, then inevitably those who are hearing, there are going to be some that believe what you're saying. And that's part of the aspect of salvation. If you don't hear the message, you're never going to believe the message. But there are going to be those who believe the message that they hear. And the Bible even tells us, In one of the parables that Jesus gives, he says there's going to be a sower who goes out and they're going to sow seed. That sower doesn't do anything but sow the seed. He's just giving out the seed just like we just give out the gospel. He's not in control of who gets a hold of it and who doesn't get a hold of it. He's just there to proclaim it. He says there's going to be some that fall upon stony ground, some that fall upon thorns, some that the birds come and take away. But there are going to be some that fall on good ground, some that actually spring up. And that's what Paul saying. He's saying if that message is being proclaimed, there are going to be some that believe the message of the gospel. And that is part of faith. Not to get into scripture for next week, but... Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. It's that Word of God that's going to produce faith by hearing, but that hearing is going to lead to something else. So we have the God who has the message. He gives the message. The ones who get the message are being sent. The ones who are being sent are preaching the message. They're telling other people about it. The ones that they're telling about it are hearing about it, and the ones that are hearing about it, there are some of those that are believing says again in verse number 14, how shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed and how shall they believe in what they've not heard? So we have those who are hearing, some are believing and what that believing is producing is calling upon him. So it's producing something in that. So they're hearing it, they're believing it and they're calling And again, this word call is a reference back to the Old Testament. What Paul does in this chapter is over and over and over and over, he points us back to the Old Testament. And I do want to run to a couple other scriptures really quickly as we walk towards our next point, which is the audience. But he specifically says that believing will lead to calling or confessing or agreeing or trusting. And I know I mentioned this morning about the guy who said putting all of your weight upon. That's what Paul's saying. He is in essence saying that those who believe are going to put all of their weight upon this message. Everything that they have, they're taking their hands and their feet completely off and putting all of their weight upon the message of the gospel. They hear it, they believe it, and they are trusting it. Going back to Acts one more time. Chapter number two, we have Peter again being involved in this narrative. In chapter number two, and specifically in verse number 21, what Peter does, just a real quick recap, and I know most of us know this, but he's going and he's explaining the gospel from the Old Testament but what he does in verse number 21 of this text is he quotes from the prophet Joel. We'll start in verse number 20. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood before the great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that who soever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So in this presentation of the gospel he says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What he's doing is he is quoting from the book of Joel, chapter number 2, and verse number 32. And I had this marked earlier, so you give me just a second to get there. It's kind of like Micah in the mornings. For some reason, I have a trouble finding it most mornings, even though we've been turning to it for about five chapters now. Joel, chapter number 2, verse number 32 Joel was prophesying about God pouring out his spirit. And you'll recognize this reference. Let's just start in verse number 28. He says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I shall pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall shall see visions. And Peter speaks all this in Acts chapter number 2 and also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in all those days i will pour out my spirit and i will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth blood and fire pillars of smoke the sun shall be turned into darkness the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the lord come and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the lord shall be delivered from in mount zion and in jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord saith, and in the remnant whom whom the Lord shall call. So Paul is prophesying about a day that's coming. He said there's going to be a mount in Jerusalem where a message is going to go out. And whenever this message goes out, anybody who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Or the word he uses there is delivered. What Joel is saying is the same thing that Peter was saying and is the same thing that Paul is saying. What Joel was prophesying to the people, what they would have understood is that one day the Messiah is going to come. He's going to set up a kingdom and whoever wants to agree or put their trust in, this Messiah is going to be delivered. They're going to be able to be part of this kingdom. That's what the Jews were looking for. They were looking for a day when the Messiah was going to come and he was going to bring the whole world under his dominion. And in their mind, under their dominion as well. Which is a whole... We can get into that at another point. Peter says to the Jews at the day of Pentecost, that's today. He said the Spirit is going to be poured out on everybody. Jew, Gentile and whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then Paul, referencing the same text, says in verse number 13, and whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What Joel is saying in the Old Testament, he said there's going to come a day when whoever puts all of their weight upon this Messiah is going to be delivered into his kingdom they 're going to be brought out of the kingdom very and they 're going to be put into a new kingdom with this messiah who 's setting up this this kingdom that 's going to be of no end the kingdom that they were looking for what Peter tells these Jewish people on the day of Pentecost is that that person that you heard was going to come out of the midst of Jerusalem out from the mountain in Jerusalem. And the word was going to go about. That happened. You were the one who killed him. You were the one who did it. You missed it. That was him. And what Paul is saying to those Jewish people in Rome is the same thing that Peter was saying to those Jewish people in Jerusalem. That whoever called upon the name of the Lord would be saved. What Paul is doing for this Jewish people is he's, he's explaining to them That what happened at Babel had been reversed. Because Joel said there's going to come a day when His Spirit is going to be poured out. Young men are going to dream dreams. Old men are going to have visions. People are going to speak. Just a real quick side note. That's what happened. At at the Tower of Babel, men got together and they said, we're going to become like God. And when they did that, they started working to be like God. And God said, he wasn't going to have it. So he confused their languages. At the day of Pentecost, God had become like man. And what happened at the day of Pentecost? People started hearing different languages and understanding what was being said. Peter was speaking to this multitude who some didn't understand him, but they said, hey, I understand what he's saying. These languages were being understood by each other again. What God was doing through the person of Jesus Christ was he was reversing what man had tried to do. They had tried to get to him, but he said, no, I'm coming to you. And he fixed the problem that he created because they were trying to come to him. Hey. That's what God did. And he was explained to them that he's bringing all of this back together. He created one people without division in the Garden of Eden. And because of their fall and because of their disobedience, he had to pull out a particular people. And he did that for a certain period of time. But there came a day when it didn't matter anymore. It wasn't just to the Jews. It wasn't the Jews that would be holding the oracle of God because their purpose had been fulfilled. They had brought forth the Messiah. God was still using them to bring forth his word to other people. They were part of the ones who were being sent with this message. But Paul is saying to these Jewish people, to this mainly Jewish audience here in chapter number 10, that anybody who puts their complete trust on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And again, that's what that word call means. It just means to, to give up. It's almost the same thought as somebody being on top of a building that's on fire. And they see a helicopter flying around that's rescuing people from on top of this building. And in their last feeble attempt, they just put all their trust in that, co- in that helicopter that they're going to save them. They don't, have to, they don't even have to do anything. They don't have to say any kind of words. They just give up. I can't do this. I'm not saving myself. That is calling upon the name of the Lord. It's giving up. I can't do this myself anymore. I refuse to try and get to God on my own way. And Paul said, that's not just available to you. It's available to whoever wants to trust him. The word, he said, call upon the name of the Lord. The word name. There's a reason that the angel came to Joseph and said, his name shall be Jesus, for he shall save his people from his sin. Because in that day, the name that you had was, it was your character, it was who you were. It wasn't just what people called you, it was who you were. Paul's saying, anybody who wants to put their trust into the person, who came to save his people from their sins, can be part of that people that he came to save. Those Jews, whenever they heard that, they thought, well, he's coming to save us. And Paul's saying, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, whoever puts their trust, whoever puts all of their weight into this name, shall be saved. They're going to be part of this kingdom that you're looking for. The one kingdom that you won't let go of. Even in our day, the kingdom that Jewish people are still looking for, they still won't let go of. If they would just put their trust in the Messiah that came to save them from their sin, they would be saved. They would be part of that kingdom that they're looking for. Paul's main thrust in this text while his burden is that these people come to know Christ, his desire, his debt is to tell these people, he wants them to understand how it's going to happen. And how it happens is God sends his son, saves people, and is stirring the hearts of Cornelius' to hear the message. So to the Jewish people in this text, They needed to hear the message. That was his call. His desire was that they hear the message. But to the believers in this text, whom he's already convinced that they are completely without hope, that they are, even though they are battling with sin, have been made free in Christ, all of these things that he said to them up to this point, his explanation to those who have believed is nobody else is going to believe unless you tell them. Because he's already told us, and he's going to reference again. Nobody wants to come to God on their own. Even Isaiah, he said, he said, "Who who would even hear our report?" Everybody, they've gone away. They've gone their own way, and they've rejected God. But he's saying, if you want what I want, if your desire is what my desire is, then you need to understand. That if they're going to be saved, then they need to call upon the name of the Lord. And if they're going to be able to call upon the name of the Lord, they need to believe it first. And if they're going to believe it, they're going to have to hear about it. And if they're going to hear about it, somebody's going to have to tell them. And that's where we insert ourselves into this text. We've got to be telling people that they can be delivered. It's got to be the words that come out of our mouth. It can't just be us hoping that they see that we were nice to people. And again, I'm not, I'm not downplaying those other parts of Christianity. I'm not downplaying at all the results of the gospel. But the results of the gospel do not save. The gospel alone saves. Right. And if we're not taking the message of the gospel, then we're not going to see any of the effects of this message that God has designed. We can break it down. We can reverse engineer it like Paul's done. But if we don't put it back together the way that it was given, then it's not going to work. I can reverse engineer something all day. I can take apart every VCR or DVD player or whatever it may be. I can take apart everything all day long. But if I don't put it back together the way that it was designed, it will not work. Period. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying you need to make sure you're taking the gospel the way that it was designed, and part of that design is you. God gave you the message. God's stirring the hearts of Cornelius is all around you, that when they receive the gospel, they will believe because they heard, and they will call upon the name of the Lord. And any of those people who do that will be saved. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be here tonight. Thank you again, Lord, for your word.